today provide you with in-depth news and expert analysis, telling the whole story and the bigger picture, bringing you the news you want to know only on today. It's 2019. Time to look into your crystal ball and make some predictions. What predictions do you have about our world in 2019 in general? What do you think will happen in global politics, and what economic predictions can you make? You're listening to today. I'm Sui. In this panel, we will do a little bit predictions of this world full of uncertainties. Our panel is Dr. Zhao Hai, a research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Dennis Campbell, founder and editor of UK Progressive Magazine, co-host of the Three Mark Records podcast, and author of Donald Trump: Deplorable Bully. Wang Jin, a research fellow of the Syria Research Center of Northwest University in Xi'an. If you want to listen to this episode again, or catch on other topics, download our podcast, World News Analysis. So now let's begin with China-U.S. trade talks. The two presidents have reached important consensus late last year. Also, the two sides will hold vice ministerial level talks next week、uh, here in Beijing.、Uh, Dr. Zhao Hai, where do you think the trade talks are going as the、uh, three-month deadline is approaching? Well, first of all, let's review what has、uh, already happened after the Argentina meeting.、Uh, there has been a lot of progress if you look closely.、Uh, China has re- restarted importation of soybean from the United States, lowered tariff on U.S. cars, and also started reform of uh, 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 foreign investment as well as、uh, IPR protection.、Uh, there are new courts being setting up. So I think overall,、uh, China has been、uh, fulfilling its promise during the meeting、uh, of two top leaders,、uh, and also China is steadily m- making progress、uh, in terms of negotiations. The U.S. side also reciprocated;、uh, it postponed the, imp-、uh, the uh, next 25 percent. Uh, tariff on two hundred billion U.S.、Uh, dollars of Chinese importation to the United States, and also just、uh, happened,、uh, I think yesterday,、uh, another thirty-four billion worth of uh, 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 Chinese goods、uh, also being exempted from the twenty-five percent. So I think overall, both sides are showing willingness to continue the negotiation and try to make a deal in the new year. And the top leaders have、uh, separately expressed that their、uh, will to reach this deal.、Uh, they have made two phone calls、uh, after that. So I think it's uh, uh, for me, it's optimistic that they will reach a deal by uh, the end, uh, by the deadline,、uh, which is March first. However, I think there are difficulties. Uh, also, we have to consider、uh, both sides. Other than trade, there are strategic issues between the two sides, and there are potential mine, mines on the road、uh, in terms of reaching、uh, finally of this deal. Particularly, the U.S. domestic politics will be a very troubling、um, uh, factor in terms of this、uh, negotiations. Right. So, talk about beyond trade. We've heard many discussion about whether it is essentially about competitions between the two countries over new technologies, and whether it is a long-term thing or short-term thing. So, Dr. Zhao Hai, what can we expect in the longer term? Even as you said, the two sides can agree something on trade. I think、uh, China has already. Become a very important power in the world, and uh, uh, the U.S. needs to、uh, readjust its policy towards China. So overall,、uh, I think the competition between the two countries will continue. However, both sides also emphasize there will, will be coordination, cooperation, and stabilization、uh, between. I mean, between these two countries, this is a very important bilateral relationship. It has global implications. So I think moving forward, you will see both the competition and the cooperation sides. 
phase of this relationship.、Uh, and hopefully, particularly from the Chinese side, we hope there will be more areas of cooperation and a stable bilateral relationship move, moving forward. Because I think the world has enough troubles without cooperation between these two big countries. Nothing,、uh, no major issues in this world will be moving forward. So,、uh, Dennis, how do you see the relations between China and the U.S. next year? If we also consider some domestic factors in the United States,、uh, like、uh, the House of Representatives is controlled by Democrats, and the U.S. economy is facing a downward pressure, and also the country is entering a next election cycle. Well, you've got a number of issues that、uh, <clears throat> could impact this one way or the other, and the most、uh, unpredictable one is the current U.S. president, Donald Trump himself. You just don't know whether he's going to support、um, removing tariffs and any sort of a bilateral agreement that comes.、Uh, one of the biggest problems he's facing in the moment is the fact that the the new U.S. Congress just passed a、uh, bill to reopen the government, six of them to be <clears throat>、uh, in fact, and、um, there's no guarantee that either the Republican-controlled Senate or the president will take them up. So we're 14 days into a shutdown, which has crippled. The functioning of the United States government, and we have somebody who already in the president of the United States has vetoed a bill or refused to to act on a bill、uh, that was approved a hundred to nothing by the Republican-controlled Senate. So you've got a leader in Mitch McConnell who is afraid to do anything that does not have the approval of President Trump, which is the antithesis of what he is supposed to be doing as the leader of a co-equal branch of government. I don't see anything positive coming out of this for U.S.-China relationships, because quite simply, you just don't know which direction the president of the United States is going to go, and he usually goes in the direction of the last person to whisper into his ear before he sits down to take a decision. So, how do you see the global implications of this pair of ties on on other countries and on the region and also the whole world? Well. He doesn't really care what happens. <laughs> he really, if you look at the, his past performance、uh, during the last two years that he's been president, I mean, he actually came out and said that you know I don't care what happens in Europe, for example, with with trade and things of that sort. And when you factor in all of the inconsistencies and the fact that he's turned away. Uh, from every one of the allies,、uh, traditional allies of the United States, you're in a situation where you just don't know who he's going to side with, because pretty much everything he's done is America first, retrench, and、uh, pull back、uh, any agreements that exist out there. I mean, he's pulled out of TPP, he's pulled out of all of the trade agreements. He's he said NAFTA is no good, and has、uh, basically. Uh, pulled together another、uh, agreement between the two countries that still has to pass all three of the legislatures of、uh, those three countries. So God only knows what is going to happen when the U.S. and China finally come to an agreement. Yes, there's been a temporary easing of tariffs because the stock market yesterday lost 660 points in the United States out of fears that Apple Computer is not going to be able to continue to live up to the、uh, earnings that it's had in. The last several years with the iPhone, so we don't know what's going to happen going forward with this president on trade policy.、Mm-hmm.
So we've been talking a lot about the Thucydides trap for quite some time, a concept proposed by American political scientist Graham Allison, which basically means war or confrontation is inevitable when the world number two tries to challenge the world number one. Some people say it's irre- irrelevant when we talk about China-U.S. relations because both countries are somehow an exception under the context of traditional international relations. Will others say they are still worried about the possibility of open confrontation? So, Dr. Wang Jin, how do you see this debate over Thucydides' trap when we talk about China-U.S. ties? Is it inevitable to see this pair of relations become more competitive from a longer perspective? Uh, well, first, we have to say that this kind of discussion uh, not uh, not only uh, actually exists in the academic. Uh, severe, but also uh, I mean, very popular in the media and in public dis- discussions. Mm. Because from the I mean, the academic sphere, we know that very uh, famous one, the theory, the, the power transition theory, that uh, the the power will trans uh, that transferred from the number one to number two, and then the higher, very high possibility that it, this will this will lead to the world that between the number one, number two powers. And also that we we know that uh, it's come to become the very very uh, sensitive areas because the number one United States and number two China. I mean, according to uh, some kind of uh, discussions, that uh, the war may be inevitable. But uh, I think, uh, from my per- personal point of view, I believe that the world is changing. That yes, this kind of we are in the uh, in the very uh, critical sphere in the critical time that the world is witnessing the very, very huge and uh, critical transformation of uh, both the geopolitical, geopolitical power, I mean, the uh, compar- comparativity and also the ge- geopolitical power uh, reformation. But uh, this kind of, but we also face a lot of other problems. I mean, a lot of other untraditional and unconventional uh, the, the problems that cannot be handled by only uh, one power uh, with a very traditional way or with the very conventional uh, manners. For example, for example, we 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 have to uh, we have to 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 handle the very the terrorism threat. We also have to handle, for example, the, the expression the expression of some disease. The, the 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 we have to fight the the poverty, and these are the very very complicating and very very interacting problems. I mean, especially given the very uh, the, the internationalized the world that needs more cooperation, needs more c- connection. Meanwhile, the, with the technology development, we know that more communication uh, might help decrease the, the possibility of the total confrontation and total uh, uh, the competition between the two sides. So this makes any uh, I mean the direct confrontation, direct or we call it direct conflict between the different powers, very very uh, expensive. So, so as someone has maintained that this is, or the confrontation, the total confrontation is only the very, very uh, expensive things, only for the very poor state that can afford it. The very power, big power, United States and China cannot afford the direct confrontation with, with each other. So I think that in the future that China and the United States need more kind of the willingness, especially from the United States side, need more willingness to, to cooperate, to coordinate, to discuss, and to understand each other, to try to build a better world, I mean, uh, together, not to highlight the very confrontation factors, I mean, in the bilateral ties.
Dr. Zhao Hai, what's your take on this uh, discussion over the Thucydides trap? Well, I think this is uh, uh, actually um, relevant to today's situation. However, it's not. Uh, we cannot see uh, the fate of U.S.-China relations will be determined by this theory, because if you look closely about the cases that uh, this theory presented and used, it's mostly from Western experience, and a lot of those cases, particularly modern conflicts, are drawing from uh, imperial times in the West. So I think when you apply that. To today's U.S.-China relations, not only uh, you missing out what uh, Dr. Wang has pointed out. You know there are so many uh, areas that today we need to uh, jointly confront uh, against and to to save this this world planet. Not only you have climate change issues, poverty issues, you know not unconventional threats, uh, but also. Without a you know today's world is so globalized and interdependent, there's no way you can unravel it and maintain、uh, prosperity and peace. So I think it's very important not to think just from a bilateral perspective, not to just think from a Western perspective, but also,、uh, but but instead thinking through a global、uh, prism and thinking from a more comprehensive perspectives.、Uh, that being said, I think we have to take care of the、uh, mis. Perception、uh, between these two countries, because、uh, Jimmy Carter, the former president、uh, that helped to establish a normal rela-、uh, diplomatic relationship between the two sides, recently published an article、um, uh, on the Washington Post, and he said misperception, miscalculation between the two countries are now、uh, pushing these two countries into further, further、uh, possibility of confrontation, even military confrontation. So I think、uh, one of the things is that we need to increase communication and to get rid of the misperception. Perceptions between this strategic relationship, in order to、uh, you know understand both sides' intentions on the geopolitical issues, on bilateral issues, as well as global governing issues, and that way we can move forward with more cooperation that I mentioned、uh, before. So I think that's uh, more important uh, than just learning from one side. Historical experience of Cisdidas、uh, theory.、Mm-hmm. At the same time, there are still discussions, particularly here in China, about whether all this is only because of the hawkish figures、uh, towards China in the current administration, or it's less meaningful if we have this kind of discussion because it is already a long-term thing and it's kind of a consensus among American elites.、Uh, so, Dr. Zhao Hai, how do you make of this? Well, I think.、Uh, Yes, the the hawkish side of American politics, particularly in the Trump administration,、uh, is very significant.、Uh, and if you consider the number of generals serving in the White House, it's quite high. But now, recently,、uh, they got fired one by one. You know, General McMaster, Kelly, and also recently uh, uh, Secretary Mattis. Uh, so I think、uh, there are great changes in、uh, the Trump administration, and also,、uh, as another commentator has already mentioned,、uh, there is great uncertainty、uh, in the White House.、Uh, so I think in this changing environment, it's very hard to say、uh, where exactly the direction of the Trump administration is going. That's why I think increasing communications and for for us, for China, to understand exactly what's going on within the White House is very important、uh, to have control of the situation.、Uh, However, on the other side, I think in the long term,、uh, yes, there are factors、uh, pushing for a, a more escalated sort of competition. However, I think、uh, the short-term moves and policies w- will accumulate and determine the long-term direction. So. 
as long as we take care of the short-term crisis and you know control the development of the situation, and I think the long-term we can and we will be able to manage the long-term relationship of, of the two sides. Uh, I think fine, ultimately we will decide both sides, uh, the, the leaders and also the people participating in the decision-making process will determine the outcome of the long-term, uh, not uh, the, um, I don't believe in the determinism mm-hmm. in, in this process. Thanks. Uh, we're going to take a short break here. You've been listening to today. We're making some uh, predictions of the year of 2019. Our panel today is Dr. Zhao Hai, a research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Dennis Campbell, founder and editor of UK Progressive Magazine, co-host of the Three Mock Records podcast, and author of Donald Trump: Deplorable Bully. And also Dr. Wang Jin, a research fellow of the Syria Research Center of Northwestern University in Xi'an. We'll be back in a minute. ChinaPlus.cri.cn is your home for everything you want to know about China. The latest news in China and everything China-related from around the world. Everything in focus, all in one place, bringing you vital information for your business and travel. Chinese culture, language learning, and more. ChinaPlus.cri.cn. ChinaPlus.cri.cn. Your portal into today's Middle Kingdom. Welcome back. Let's move on to the Korean Peninsula issue. Last year in 2018, we saw the whole situation、uh, is getting better and better.、Uh, Trump met North Korean leader Kim Jong Un. Kim Jong Un held warm talks with South Korean President Moon Jae-in, and President Trump has said he's looking forward to his next summit meeting with Kim. But at the same time, U.S. officials say North Korea has not shown enough sincerity in denuclearization. And North Korean leader Kim Jong Un, in his New Year message, says his country will choose a different path if sanctions and pressure, particularly from the United States, continue. So, Dr. Zhao Hai, will 2019 be a bumpy year for the Korean Peninsula issue?、Uh, I think it will be、uh, because. Uh, you remember, 2017 was quite a bumpy year because of the launching of the missiles, test of nuclear weapons,、uh, and at that time, people feared that war might break out、uh, on the Korean Peninsula.、Uh, however, the North Koreans changed their direction, and the U.S. side also answered the call. And ultimately,、uh, last year in 2018,、uh, President Trump met with Chairman King. Uh, in Singapore, so the situation、uh, is easing up, and also South Korean President、uh, Moon Jae-in has contributed a lot、uh, in terms of reducing the tension on the Korean Peninsula. China contributed, and w- together with uh, Russia, uh, to propose the phased、uh, negotiation between the two sides.、Um, however, I think this year、uh, we're reaching into a more difficult part of the negotiation because both sides,、uh, the North Korean and and the Americans, needs to make. Real progress to show to the world, to show both countries to, to their people.、Uh, but in order to move、uh, deeper into the process, North Koreans will make will need to make a、uh, real progress in terms of denuclearization, and in. Also on the U.S. side, the North Koreans now demand U.S. to reduce sanctions. So there are tough measures to be taken and the decisions to be、uh, to be considered by both sides. And if neither side is willing to make the first uh, step, um, and it's it's going to be very difficult for both sides to make、uh, to reach the the ultimate compromise. At this point, I think、uh, President Trump still.
believes in this process and still trying to move this process forward by promising the second uh, summit between North Korea and the United States. Uh, however, if Pompeo and his team cannot uh, make progress uh, in terms of denuclearization process as well as U.S. Uh, reducing sanctions, then it's very hard for the second summit to, to achieve anything. And if the second summit is only the re repetition of the first one, then U.S. domestic politics will not no longer support uh, President Trump's measure uh, towards North Korea. And so I think we'll have to face a lot of difficulty, uh, a lot of di difficult decisions in 2019. And uh, North Korea needs to be, the case needs to be followed closely. Mm. So Dennis, how would you see the domestic factors in the U.S. when it comes to handling relations with North Korea? Does the president have enough support to reconcile relations with North Korea? No, he probably doesn't. I mean, the the initial meeting with Kim Jong-un was greeted with great uh, skepticism, um, <clears throat> largely because there was nothing asked for in return. Um, it was just a simple uh, opportunity for him to have a photo op without him thinking about the long-term consequences between the two nations. I mean, there's a reason why the North Korean dictator, whether, whether it was Kim Jong-un or his father, were never... Uh, greeted or, or or given the respect because they simply could not be trusted to live up to any agreement. And we're seeing that now is the case in this particular agreement. You know, He has said basically that they have agreed to denuclearize, and then when you actually start to dig into the details, and this is the, the, the problem with this president, uh, there's nothing there. There is no there there. And when you start to look at you know, where the relationship is headed, it's not in a good state right now. It's not going to get any better. And he doesn't seem to care. He just is uh, looking to win the news cycle for a particular day. And if that news cycle involves, I'm going to have a handshake meeting with Kim, then uh, that's great. But if, uh, if it means that I've got to actually sit down and do some heavy work, there is no structure now inside the White House. There's no bench. There are no policy people that are sitting down. It's just everybody running from photo op to photo op, and uh, it's what happens when you have a reality television star as the leader of the United States, and that's pretty much where we are with uh, with with Kim and North Korea. What's re what's really helpful to see is that the North Korean and the South Korean uh, leaders at least are having talks. That's something that hasn't happened before. But again, will the North Korean dictator live up to? whatever is agreed to, will the President of the United States live up to whatever is agreed to? You have two wild cards basically dealing with each other, and there's no uh, certainty in sight. Mm -hmm. Dr. Wang Jing, what's your observation? What kind of wisdom is needed to push forward the momentum we saw last year? Uh, well, I mean, I'd agree that uh, it is, I mean, agree with uh, both of my two colleagues. I mean, it is easy. Of course, to 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 show the very uh, the the willingness of it to improve the bilateral ties, it's always easy to show the willingness to show the good signs. It is easy gestures, but when we talk about how to melt down the ice, I mean how to melt down the kind of distrust and the suspicions, it's always a very very long way to go before the, our final. Uh, destination. I mean, uh, the final, uh, the mutual trust and all the kind of the agreement on the set of the mechanism was set up. It will be in a long time. So we still need the time to wait and have, we have the patience 
And also, I think the very wisdom we need, I mean, in the, in the, uh, in the Korea Peninsula, I mean, not only for the North and the South Korea, but also for the other related states, but especially the United States, is that they have to hold, from my view, that they have to hold a very positive uh, aspirations or the views towards each other. That is a very vital thing. They have to trust them. And they have to trust or give the hope to this kind of uh, uh, positive future. Uh, I think the very basic thing right now, I mean, for the both sides of North Korea and South Korea, but also for the United States, that the old days, I mean, the old days of the mutual confrontation and the mutual standoff is very awful days. And no one wants to go back. So everyone wants to look ahead. Everyone wants to make it improve. But how to make it improve that? I think we need the patience. And the thing that I think we need to is to, to try to forget the very old days hatred and try to break the interest groups that who benefited from this kind of the standoff and, and benefited from this kind of confrontation. Um, I think it, it will take a long time, but the year 19, uh, 2019, oh, I think it will be the very critical year. Maybe we will witness some kind of major improvement in the series of talks, maybe the photo, even the photographs. Thank you very much. Uh, we're running out of time of our first half. In the second half, we'll touch upon the relations between the United States and Russia, uh, the Syrian situation, and also the situation in the whole Middle East, and also the Europe, Europeans' uh, migration issue, and also the Yellow Vest protests across Europe, particularly in France. You've been listening to today. In this episode, we're making some predictions of the year 2019. Topics include what does the future hold for the trade talks between China and the U.S.? Are we going to see more Yellow Vest protests across Europe? And also, is Syria ready to have peace? Our panel is Dr. Zhao Hai, a research fellow with the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, Dennis Campbell, founder and editor of UK Progressive Magazine, co-host of the Three Muckrakers podcast, and author of Donald Trump, Deplorable Bully. Also, Dr. Wang Jin, a research fellow of the Syria Research Center of Northwestern University in Xi'an. If you want to listen to this episode again or catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast, World News Analysis. I'm Sui. Stay with us. I am Alka Acharya. I teach at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in India. Today has uh, organized its programs and uh, its stress on uh, bringing in a lot of views uh, from all over. It is an extremely good platform for uh, information and analysis and I wish it all success in the future. Welcome back. You're listening to Today. I'm Sui. Now move on to another pair of important relations between the United States and Russia. The two leaders held talks, held their summit last year in Helsinki, but we've not seen much progress ever since. And the situation got complicated after the Kerch Strait standoff between Russia and Ukraine and among several other issues. So Dr. Zhao Hai, is the hope of improvement of relations between these two countries basically gone. Like, it's unrealistic to see their relations get improved. 
I think at this point, there's very little hope for uh, U.S. and Russia to improve relations immediately, uh, because mo- the biggest reason is not actually geopolitical competition or the worrying of uh, Russia's threats in uh, Eastern uh, uh, European or other areas. I think the most important factor is still American domestic politics uh, because of the claim of Russian interference in U.S. domestic, domestic elections and also uh, this uh, collusion investigation is still going on uh, between, you know, uh, for Russia and uh, President Trump. Uh, President Trump's hands are really tied. He cannot move forward with improvement and uh, also because of the hotliners in his administration still trying to uh, upset the uh, nuclear balance that has been reached during the Cold War times between uh, Russia and uh, between the Soviet Union back then and the United States. So I think at this point, it's very hard for both sides to find a common ground to improve relations because there's no trust and there's no areas of major comp- uh, cooperation. Uh, so in order to break the ice, first of all, the U.S. needs to recognize uh, Russia's intentions and uh, also accept the uh, legitimacy of uh, Putin's rule in Russia. And without that uh, preconditions, it's very hard for them, particularly for the American domestic politics, to accept a warmed up relationship between or, or any reset Uh, like 2012 uh, between Russia and the United States. So I think, yes, uh, at at least for the short short run, it's very hard to see both sides to uh, reach a rapprochement. Mm -hmm. So Dennis, uh, what's your expectation, particularly if we consider America's domestic factors? Well, I mean, the, the biggest problem you have right now is that you have two leaders that are focused on only one thing, their own pocketbook issues. Uh, You've got the sanctions that have been crippling for more than two years that were put in by outgoing President Obama that that President uh, Trump has tried to remove without success because there is this very serious charge of meddling in the United States election of 2016. And as long as both of these men, and apparently it looks as though, you know, President Putin does have something on President Trump, because, I mean, just last night on one of the U.S. uh, news broadcasts, there was further indication that we have uh, compromising evidence being piped into the ear of Donald Trump that's then coming back out over the airways. And last night they literally discussed why all of a sudden the president said something just in his cabinet meeting uh, day before yesterday um, about the Afghanistan war, that all of a sudden that this was something that was uh, not something that was started by Russia. Rather, it was there to get rid of terrorism, which was absolutely not the case. And uh, Rachel Maddow from MSNBC put together a whole series of situations where things were coming out of the president's mouth, such as uh, if you look into the Balkans and uh, the Montenegrins, all of a sudden those people were very dangerous, and that could be the, the, the starting place of World War III. You can then trace back all of these statements to something that either appeared in Moscow state media or in other parts of the, of, of the media that are coming out of his mouth. And the question becomes, why? Uh, you know, if, if this man is so totally controlled, what do they have on him? Which leads us to the Mueller case, which is still 
moving forward with great speed and steam. And now that we have, you know, one of the branches of government controlled by the Democrats is going to become even more and more investigated going into 2019. So this is not going to be a good year for the United States uh, president or Russia and their influences because nothing is going to happen on the crippling sanctions for Putin and his oligarchs. And it's going to just continue to get worse as more and more revelations trip out. Mm -hmm. So like the relations between China and the U.S., the relations between the U.S. and Russia are always not just about uh, these two individual countries. We know the U.S. is withdrawing from a treaty with Russia on land-based missiles, a Cold War era treaty, which also makes their non-proliferation talks in the future more complicated. So Dr. Wang Jin, things like this, how much should we worry about their retreat from non-proliferation commitments of towards the uh, the world uh i think yes we should i mean to some extent worried about it because uh, this treaty especially the non-proliferation treaties are the very very uh foundation or the very, very backbone of the world peace i mean the, if we go back to the cold war between us, uh, the soviet union and the united states because both states they have uh, i mean so many uh, nuclear missiles and their uh, nuclear capability might destroy the, the whole world. I mean, I mean, dozens of times. That's a very horrible thing. So this kind of agreement that offers the very basis for the, the mutual trust or the mutual uh, we can we you call it the mutual observation of each other's capability and the willingness. So that is a good sign. So if the United States or especially Donald Trump decides to withdraw from it, it will be the very very crack big crack for the the mutual trust, especially the strategic trust between the Russia, the United States, and also. Between the United States and the rest of the world, uh, but I think this worry is limited because uh, we should understand that this kind of agreement, or we call, or the non-proliferation agreement, is the very, very result of the consequence of the world power. I mean, the capability, uh, the the deterrence between the Soviet Union and the United States, and now the Russia, uh, the Russia and the United States. Even that we say, okay, the United States or the Russia, they have the capability to destroy the, the world for dozens of times, but we have only one world. So, so every state, I mean, the powerful, I mean, the nuclear state, nuclear weapon state, they have this kind of nuclear weapon. So this is necessary for the United States and these power, nuclear power states to reach a new kind of balance or new kind of agreement, maybe the formal one or maybe an informal one in the future. To try to keep this kind of cooperation and the trust between the states, so I think maybe the United States will withdraw it, and maybe this kind of move will try to will uh, trigger the, the series of distrust and the competition. But finally, I think the new balancing point will be reached because our capability, uh, the, the balance, uh, is there because the capability, kind of hard power, is there. So I think it's just a matter of time. But again, in the short term, it's very, very uh, serious and uh, and very big news for for us to need to observe. Thanks. Uh, let's move on to another hot spot region. The Middle East, also Syria. Uh, Syrian parties are now talking about their future, talking about peace. The United Nations is trying to mediate a political arrangement, and also the United States has said it's withdrawing from the country in in a time of a month. So, Dr. Wang Jin, is peace and a political reconciliation looming in Syria, or this is just the beginning of more conflicts? 
uh, well, that, that's difficult to see because we see that the United States they decided to withdraw from the northern Syria, and we see that the Turkey now is trying to prepare the new round of the military offensive in the northern Syria, given that the United States military presence is no longer there, and maybe the kind of the local uh, political vacuum that is left there. So, uh, so that's, that's one thing. I mean, the difficulty is that depends on what Turkey will do. If the Turkey launch their military offensive in the very short term, uh, I think it will drag the both the Syrian government and the Syrian Kurds, and also the Iran and Russia into the new new round of competitions. And Russia and Iran, they will face the very new choices. What they should do is will maybe become more concerned because they're very. Uh, not very good relations right now with Turkey. And also Saudi Arabia might also show their own concerns over this problem. So that depends on what Turkey will do. But in the very long term, and especially if we, if we look back to the year of the 19, uh, 2011, 2012, and or 2013, now the Syria becomes more stabilized, given that the Syrian uh, military forces dominated the battlefield in the last year. And uh, they, they, they have already successfully retaken uh, most of the Syrian territories through the several major military offensives during the last year. That's a very, very major improvement of the social order and social belief, social uh, stability uh, for the Syria. So that is a good sign for the future of the Syria. So I think the, I think the, in the future, the, the, the both Syrian government is, and also the, the related states, they, they should try to establish and construct their, the, the, the very peace process a mechanism based on the new reality. Uh, that is a very critical uh, thing. And I am very positive with about the very future peace of the state because the, the major war is, uh, from my view, that might be over. And that depends on what Turkey uh, might do in the next uh, next choice, in the, in the upcoming choice, whether they will launch the military offensive in the northern Syria. Mm. So talk about U.S. foreign policy, uh, not just Syria. President Trump has also always been talking about cutting military presence in Afghanistan, half uh, the troops stationed in the country. Uh, so, Dennis, is the U.S. really retreating from the region, from Syria and also Afghanistan? Well, if you follow his Twitter stream, he says yes. But if you follow reality, it's not quite as quickly as he would like it to be. Um, let's, let's go back again over the last six, seven weeks. We've seen the resignation of the Secretary of Defense, General James Mattis, and uh, that has caused uh, a problem because he was supposed to have stayed on through the end of February to help with the transition. But because he resigned and in his resignation letter, he was not kind uh, to Donald Trump in any way or speaking very positively of his leadership. He was summarily fired and basically told to clean out his desk within a week. So his uh, he says, I can't, I can't quit. You, you, I, I choose to fire you. Uh, and that has created a tremendous amount of rancor inside of the Pentagon and amongst the generals there. And we have a situation where by simply just unilaterally saying they're going to withdraw, he's placed uh, United States troops at great risk throughout the entire region. Now he's backed off a little bit 
on Twitter again, and uh, said basically that uh, we're going to slow it down. We're going to have a nice orderly withdrawal, but there's still no details. I mean, again, this is uh, this is a reality television show star who goes from news cycle to news cycle to do anything he can to steal the thunder and the spotlight. Yesterday, for example, with all the pomp and circumstance uh, and, and ceremony up on Capitol Hill with the swearing in of the new speaker, he decided to appear for the first time in his entire presidency on the White House briefing room, flanked by border wall and border security people in a photo op stunt. And this is how this president operates. If there's anything I can do to deflect or steal the spotlight from somebody else who's likely to say something counter to what I believe, this is what's going to happen. The Middle East is just another bargaining chip to him. He has absolutely no understanding of the relationships that have gone on there, the delicate balance between about at least seven parties from the UN to the Syrians on through to all of the different partners there. He's essentially abandoned the the Kurds in that region, who the Turks want nothing more than to absolutely destroy. And we've got this situation where no matter where he goes, because he doesn't read and because he doesn't understand anything that's going on, he is a real threat to security, not just in that region, but with relationships with allies, relationships with your country, relationships around the world. He's a bull in a china shop, and all he cares about is winning this 24-hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Zhaohai, how do we make sense of the Middle East policy of the U.S. right now? Well, I'll have to disagree uh, with uh, what has just been said. I mm -hmm. think uh, President Trump has been quite consistent in terms of retreating American forces from the Middle East and from other world entanglement because in his mind, and, and he's quite inconsistent in terms of his American first uh, domestic and foreign policy agenda. Uh, because he believed that uh, other wars are made by Democrats and particularly by Obama or Hillary Clinton, uh, that kind of interference in other countries' businesses not, should not be shouldered by American uh, the taxpayers and American soldiers. So he has consistently insisted that uh, the U.S. should uh, retreat from the Middle East. And he, he asked Mattis to do that repetitively um, from the beginning of his administration and also this year from uh, April. There's been a big fight between the two. So I think he finally reached this to this point that he realized uh, the U.S. should no longer stay there because ISIS, in his mind, of course, uh, has been eliminated. And there's no reason for the U.S. to stay longer there and spend money more in that region. Now, of course, there are other arguments, particularly from the conspiracy theory that uh, somehow Russia controlled President Trump and the retreat of American force from that region is beneficial uh, to Russians. Uh, but I think overall, uh, um, you know, Trump is just uh, be it's being true to himself. Uh, he just wanted to uh, get Americans out of that region. However, the consequences is really severe because, as uh, you know, just now mentioned, that this is really a mess, and there are so many different forces getting involved in the Syrian civil war that when the U.S. is uh, retreating, then other parties will be exposed, and there will be a regional realignment. 
it has already happened. Uh, for instance, in the Syrian peace talk, there are two tracks. One is uh, dominated by Russia, Turkey, and Iran, and the other process is led by uh, Western countries. So they have competing agendas, and uh, different parties are sitting in those talks. Uh, exactly who is the opposition party in in the Syrian civil war and which party, which power should be talking to is a very complicated uh, process that needs to be figured out. American military always wanted to get involved in uh, other countries' business and particularly wanted to control the Middle East. From It has been going on for decades. And now um, they wanted to continue staying there in Afghanistan, in Syria, uh, without a clear agenda of axis uh, strategy. Uh, early on, actually, President Trump listened to the military and increased troops in Afghanistan. Look what happened, right? There's no success. And and now um, the military is still recommending staying in Syria and probably increase troops uh, to and, and uh, make that military base in Syria permanent. And President Trump doesn't want to do that. So I think overall, uh, the mess created probably after American retreat uh, will be a, a headache for a lot of uh, parties getting involved, but also an opportunity for Syrians themselves to uh, uh, taking care of their own business. And in that process, a lot, a lot of other parties will get involved, Saudi Arabia, uh, Israel, and Iran. There's a possibility and potential that those parties will go head in head and create another uh, ward-like situation. However, I think after eight years, Syrian people themselves are getting so tired and so exhausted in this civil war, and all the other parties uh, at this point wanted to end it. So I agree with Dr. Wang that this year, 2019, will be a year for them to come back to the negotiation table and try to settle this through political negotiations. Um, and all the other parties need to uh, chip in. And I think Russia also will play a very major role in terms of brokering uh, different powers coming to the negotiations. Mm -hmm. So moving on to other major players, uh, Dr. Wang Jin, you mentioned uh, Turkey is a major player, it largely depends on what comes next uh, from the perspective of Turkey. So like Dr. Zhao Hai mentioned, several other players like Iran, Israel, uh, how would you see the regional realignment of powers in the region? Uh, first, we have to say that the serious issue, like the other issues, and the sensitive issues in the Middle East, are very, very complicated because if we see that uh, our our enemy's enemy might be the friend. Maybe it works in Asia. Maybe it works in Europe. But it might it might not work in in the Middle East because every Middle East state, regional state, they have their own concerns. And, and according to the different bilateral ties, they will have their own problems. For example, that uh, the Turkey and uh, Syria are not very good relations. Their governments are not very good, good relations. While the Israel and the Syrian government have not good relations, but the for Israel and Turkey, we also do not have very good relations uh, because of the other problems. So for the Israel, their concern in, in, in Syria is largely uh, uh, over uh, the very presence of the Iranian military uh, military forces and the Shia military groups that control the supported by Iran. And Israel wants these Iran military groups and also the kind of the militias that uh, help and supported by Iran goes back and withdraw from this kind of uh, Syria territory in the future. Uh, so that is very uh, deadline for Israel. But on the other hand, Israel is a Jewish state. I mean, uh, it means that Israel is not recognized uh, formally by Syria and also not recognized by the related, uh, most of the related Arab states and the Middle East states. So it cannot get involved directly into the negotiation process. 
it is only able, it is only proper for Israel to get involved in Syria civil war uh, through the very limited and the strikes, airstrikes, and the very limited uh, the, the the indirect uh, negotiation process. I mean, through United States and Russia. So that is a very uh, embarrassing possession for Israel. So in the future, Israel is trying to, uh, to on the one hand, show their determination. Uh, on the very limited airstrikes, while on the other hand, try to get the help from the Russia and the United States from the diplomatic man, uh, maneuver. Well, on the other hand, for the Iran, it has easy yes. Iran needs, is the major supporter of the Syrian government, but Iran, once the Turkey launched the military offensive, Iran might also make a choice, have to make a choice, because Turkey is a very, very major supporter of uh, Iran against the, the United States. Uh, economic sanctions, because Turkey is a very major buyer of the Iran's gas and oil. So, for example, Turkey's 60 or 50 percent of its oil imports come from Iran. So that is this very major, major, I mean, the, the backbone of the relations, the bilateral relations between the two states. So Iran also have to face this kind of a choice. So in the future, I think this regional states, they will face a new kind of the uncertainties, but we have to be determined and decide how to uh, how to uh, react to this kind of the new development based on the very new circumstances. I mean, the circumstances in the Middle East change every day, so it's very difficult to predict. But I, uh, the one thing is uncertainty is, is for sure. It will continue. Mm. Thanks. And then that's, uh, lastly, let's look at Europe. Europe, uh, Brexit, uh, definitely, uh, of course, a deadline is coming this year. Also, France is uh, facing yellow vest protests. And last year, German Chancellor Angela Merkel decided not to run for the next term. And she has quit as party leader. And also, there's always been uh, the migrant issue. Uh, so, Dennis, first, how much uncertainty is still there uh, surrounding Brexit? Well, we're... Uh a week and a half out from a vote on Brexit, uh, which was the original deal that was struck towards the end of last year that she pulled the vote on, that this would be Theresa May, the Prime Minister. Um, it's incredibly uncertain right now. The forces on the left here in the UK uh, would like to see a second referendum vote, which uh, by all indications show it would lose by at least 10 points, maybe as many as 12. Um, there are others that are obviously the, you know, the pure Brexiteers that say, you know, we've already spoken and this is what it should be, but they, you know, there's a lot of factors that were not included in that original election. We had uh, Russian interference through uh, Facebook and uh, uh, a number of other sources that uh, may have influenced the vote. We had uh, blatantly false claims that 350 billion pounds per week would be coming back for the NHS, <clears throat> which were proven false literally on the day of the election after the vote was tallied. And uh, we basically have a 51 to 49 vote that is going to create economic calamity here in Britain. Uh, we've just seen a contract awarded to a company to set up ferry ships so that we can be certain that foodstuffs and uh, and uh, vaccines and medicines will be making it across the channel. Uh, and and the, the panic uh, um, the mongering by uh, the, the, the Tories at this point is at a record level when it seems like all they're trying to do is run out the clock. We are 85 days away, 84 today, from the, from the eventual exit from the European Union. And right now it looks like it's a no-deal Brexit which would be catastrophic on so many levels. Businesses are going to pull away. The economy is going to take a major hit. It doesn't help 
that there's uncertainty right now in U.S. markets. Um, it could be a situation as bad as in 1930. So we're looking at this thing and we're wondering why are we continuing to bullheadedly as a nation go forward with this Brexit issue if indeed all we're going to do is create more pain and suffering for the people who, who, can't, uh, who, who can't take any more pain and suffering. And also, Dennis, how, how do you look at the, the Yellow Vest movements across Europe? Are we going to see more Yellow Vest protests across the entire continent? We don't hear much about it now. I mean, it was very big during the month of December, uh, and uh, it seems to have uh, tailed off a little bit because uh, the, the president, Macron, sat down and said, well, you know, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix this, and, and, and entered into discussions. Uh, basically, the people that are left now are the anarchists who would be out there fighting no matter what you decided to do. I mean, the whole movement towards the right in Europe has been dealt a consistent blow, starting with the election of Macron over Marie Le Pen. And if you look at what's happened to Geert Wilders in the Netherlands and to other parties that have tried to you know, lead similar type movements to what the Brexiteers did here, they've been rebuffed by the voters who have taken a much more moderate approach to say, no, let's just see where this goes, rather than just you know, continuing to, uh, to don um, you know, more strident uh, and 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 uh, uh, hardline views, and and I think what's going to happen over time is that the politicians in every one of the 25 nations are going to be forced to listen. Now, the real danger is going to be in those EU members that are former Soviet states and the pressure that's going to appear on their borders. What happens to NATO? What happens if the United States continues to back away from alliances and relationships? That becomes the bigger issue going forward. Mm. Dr. Zhao, how do you see the rise of populist and right-wing politics in Europe? Well, first about Yellow West, I heard a story recently. Uh, there are a group of Chinese scholars visiting Paris, mm -hmm. and they were warned uh, that there will be a Yellow West process, protest outside, that uh, they shouldn't go out at night. Uh, but uh, some people sneaked out and find out everything else is fine. Uh, the Yellow West uh, protests are only concentrated in certain areas. Uh, so I think there are probably some kind of media exaggeration of Yellow West movement uh, in Western Europe. Uh, I agree with Dennis that uh, you know the bigger problem uh, will be in those states, in the former Soviet bloc states in Eastern Europe. And when the United States commitment reduces, uh, when there's real crisis uh, coming, particularly economic uh, weakening in uh, European countries, there will be real problems in those states. And now you've already seen the increasing authoritarian states, authoritarian leaders in those regions. And uh, I, I think uh, there are visible fissures between uh, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. So I think uh, moving forward, the project of Europe, European Union and the monetary policy of uh, the eurozone uh, will be uh, will have increasing internal conflicts uh, between the northern states and south southern states and between uh, Brexit, you know, Great Britain, and also Germany. Uh, and how to resolve those problems? I think the current leaders are leaving. Uh, they will they will need a new generation of leaders uh, to find new solutions for these uh, uh, conflicts and competitions on the continent. Uh, but, but however, I think overall. Uh, I think the Europeans will find a way to resolve their problems. Um, Brexit this year will be a very difficult uh, hurdle to cross. But in the future, uh, hopefully, they will find their own way. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Zhao. That's all the time we have for this edition of today. If you want to listen more, you can download our podcast, World News Analysis. The program engineer is Mao Yaqing. I'm Sui. Have a nice weekend.